0: Tonight we're continuing our sermon series on the Doctrine of Christ. If you don't have one of these handouts, the Doctrine of Christ, there are a few left on the back table, or back chair. Uh, you can grab one or flag someone down to get you one who's closer to it. If you do have one already, we are on number nine, on page number six. We're on nine of, I believe, 17... different uh, descriptions of who Jesus is. On this sermon series, the Doctrine of Christ, we're looking at who Jesus is, and then we're going to look at what Jesus has done. And hopefully we'll get finished uh, sometime this summer, but I'm not sure. This was supposed to be uh, one sermon or two, but it has expanded into, this is the third part, and I'm not sure if we'll get through it tonight. But there, there are many things about who Jesus is. And what's so interesting about this is that Believing who Jesus is is so important to who we are as Christians. This week, on the opposite corner where we were um, set up, most, most days there was Jehovah's Witnesses there. And so they stood beside a booth with had, had a number of different materials. Uh, none of them the Bible, but many materials claiming to teach what the Bible really teaches. And I couldn't resist going to talking to them a few times. Um, some conversations are more profitable than others. But one thing that I wanted them to see and to agree on, and, and one thing we were able to come to agreement on, is if we get Jesus wrong when, when we don't have salvation. And, and they, they would agree to that, although they think that we would have Jesus wrong. Uh, but if we don't believe in the right Jesus, we don't have salvation. Because think about John 3.16. For God to love the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in Christ, whoever believes in Jesus will not perish and have eternal life. And so who is this Jesus that we have to believe in? If we're not believing in the right Jesus, how can we claim that promise for our own? Because we're not believing in him by which we're going to have eternal life. And so there's only one Jesus. There's only one way. And so if we don't have Jesus right, We don't have salvation. The gospel is completely pointless. And so, or or whatever message we're preaching for salvation is pointless unless we have Jesus right. And so that's why we're going through in quite detail who Jesus is. Because every single false religion that is out there gets Jesus wrong. Every single one. Whether that's Muslim, whether that's Jehovah's Witness, whether that's Mormon, they do not understand scripturally who Jesus is. Now, we're not coming with an idea of Jesus because it's traditional, but rather we're looking at the scriptures and what Jesus himself said. And so we've gone through eight different points so far, and tonight we're on number nine to see who Jesus is. And it's my hope that as we get to the end of these, paper, these 13 pieces of paper, that this give a scripture about who Jesus is, that we'll have such a rock-solid assurance about who Jesus is, that when we go talk to a Jehovah's Witness, we have much to talk to them about. Whenever they say, well, that's just illogical, it doesn't make sense, well, we're going to know how to respond to that. When we get told, well, Jesus was a created being, or Jesus was just an angel, he was the brother of Lucifer, we, there's no way we can embrace that, because we have oodles of scripture just flowing out of our mind about who Jesus is, and there's no way! that this is going to be, or this is going to fly with us, okay? So number nine tonight, we're going to start here and see how far we get. We're looking at who Jesus is. And number nine, Jesus is worshipped, okay? So top of page number six, number nine, Jesus is worshipped, okay? Now, why is this so important? I write down the sheet, only God deserves worship. God says, "All, all glory is mine. I'm not going to share my glory with another, all praise, honor, and glory is all due to God. He doesn't share it with anybody else. To do so, God would be an idolater. Okay, He's not going to share his glory with anyone because he is so worthy of at all worship is due to him. Look at Deuteronomy 6.13. God says this, It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. And Jesus Answers in Luke 4, 8, again, quoting the Old Testament, it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Okay, only God gets worship. Only God do we bow down before and give praise and adoration. Revelation 22, look at what John does. He says this, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. Things that he's written down in this book. And he goes, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But what did the angel say to him? He said, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Okay. so an angel, you know, we, we understand that. The Bible says that humans are made a little bit lower than the angels. You know, the, the angels are, are are splendid, wonderful beings. And here John is amazed by this angel who has revealed to him these great visions of heaven and, and the end times and, all, and the history of the church. And so what does John do? He instinctively goes to bow down before this angel. And he goes, no, 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 no. You don't worship me. You worship God. Okay, I'm, I'm just a servant. Worship God. God. so the scriptures are very clear worship is due to God and to God alone. Now compare what we read about Jesus Matthew 2:11 says this going to the house these are the, the the wise men okay the magi from the east going to the house they saw the child with Mary his mother and they fell down and worshiped him. then opening their treasures they offered him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh. The wise men went to worship Jesus. Matthew 14, 31 to 33. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And how did Jesus respond when they worshipped him? The disciples here when he pulled Peter in from the boat, when they when, when they calmed the storm, what, what did they do? They worshipped him, and Jesus says, no, 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 don't worship me, worship God. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. It's absent from the text. Jesus receives this worship. Matthew 28, 9. Again, after Jesus risen from the dead, behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. Matthew 28, 17, he gathers together his disciples, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. If Jesus was truly a man of God, and not the Son of God, not God in human flesh, what he was doing here is wrong. He should say, no, don't worship me. Worship God and him alone. Rather, Jesus here accepts worship from his disciples. Not only that, look at John 9, 38 39. It says, he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And so he acknowledges this man's faith. He acknowledges man's worship and says, This is why I came, to give you sight, so you can see who I am, so you can believe in me and worship. John seventeen five. Jesus is praying. The night before he was crucified and he says, Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world existed? Can you imagine what the Pharisees would do if they heard this? Blasphemy! How can you say that glory goes to God and to him alone? How can you say you had glory with God before the world was? Unless Jesus truly was God in human flesh. Luke 24, 52. And again, after Jesus' resurrection, they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Hebrews 1, 6. This is what verse Kevin quoted earlier. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Let the angels worship Christ. This is what God says. Let the angels worship Jesus. Worship is for God and God alone. And now God's telling the angels, to worship the Son. We read this morning from Revelation 4 and 5, all worship, honor, and glory, wisdom, and wealth go to God who sits on the throne. And we also saw worship and praise to the Lamb, where it says in Revelation 5 9, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Later they say, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. We have the elders in heaven, the angels in heaven, worshiping Jesus, worshiping the Lamb. Who can be worshiped like this except for God and God alone? Jesus, obviously but the fact that he's receiving this kind of worship is god in human flesh that's number 9 jesus is worshiped number 10 jesus demanded faith in himself okay another proof of jesus divinity his deity is that jesus demanded faith in himself all right why is this why is this so special think about the prophets you know, and and good teachers, you know, wor- worship God, you, you submit to Him, fo- follow follow God's laws. And what does Jesus say? Believe in Me. You know, uh, incredible for for a prophet, for a man to say this. Uh, John three sixteen. For God to so love the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Can you imagine a prophet in the Old Testament say that, Israel? You, you have to believe in Me, and then you'll have eternal life. You know. <laughs> stones are going to be chucked at him. You know, but but Jesus is saying you need to believe in me. Again, it's it's a, it's a call to his deity that he is God. Faith in him just like faith in the Father. John 3:36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Jesus is the object of our faith. He's not just a mere prophet. Not just an angel, not just a created being. He is God in human flesh. He's the object of our faith. John eight twenty four. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. And I miss John six forty. It says this: For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. These aren't the words of a mere prophet. This is God come down to earth. John fourteen one and then verse 6, he says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then Jesus says to them, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Incredible claims when you read this without our, our normal, you know, we've read the scripture so many times, but just to come here fresh, and to consider that somebody said this to a group of people, this is amazing. You know, if we said this out in the street, you would be like, whoa, what is going on? But Jesus actually said this, that we ought to have faith in him, just like we believe in the Father. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. John twenty thirty one. these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. Jesus is the object of our faith. This cannot be said of any prophet, any good rabbi, a religious teacher, any created being. No no angel or created being is the object of our faith. It's God and God himself. And Jesus, being the Son of God, God in human flesh, is the object of our faith. So the fact that Jesus demands faith in himself, Jesus is saying, I am equal with God. I am God in human flesh. I want to skip down to Acts 26, 18. Jesus, when he commissioned Paul, He's commissioned him to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Again, Jesus is the object of our faith. There's other verses there. This is quite clear that Jesus is the object of our faith. And this is a proof of his deity. This is the proof that Jesus is truly the Son of God. Okay, number 11. we move on to number 11. Number 11. Jesus is referred... Sorry, Jesus referred to God as my Father. Okay, Jesus referred to God as my Father. This is another uh, clue about Jesus' deity and demonstrates just who he is. Okay, I have written there, he referred to God as my Father. It's significantly different than our Father. Okay, Jesus claimed to have an intimate knowledge of God that no one else had. In fact, he says no, no one knows the Father unless, the, unless he reveals himself through the Son, and the Son makes him known. Let's look at that verse right now. Um, Matthew eleven twenty seven. this is what it says. Jesus speaking. He says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. Okay, listen to what Jesus says. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Okay, amazing the words that Jesus says. He's claiming here such an intimate relationship between Father and Son that that He can say no one knows the Father except the Son. And no one knows the Son except the Father, but we are that close. And, 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 I'll let you know the Father if I I choose to reveal him to you. That's the sovereign power of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay? And he's testifying this this close relationship that he has between the Father. An exclusive relationship that he has. He's not just a son of God. He is the Son of God. Matthew 12, 50, he says this. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and and mother. And there he calls God, my father. Okay. And there's many other verses that I have there. I'm not going to read those ones. Uh, John 5, 17, 18, Jesus answered him. And he said this, my father is working until now and I am working. And listen how the Jews respond. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath But he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. The Jews got it. it. The Jews understand what Jesus said when he said, my father is working and I'm working. They understood exactly what he was saying. They understood when he said in Matthew 11 that he had this intimate relationship with the father. No one knows the son except the father. No one knows the father except the son. They knew what he was saying. They thought he was committing blasphemy because they said, you are a man and you're making yourself equal with God. And they wanted to kill him for it. John eight fifty four, Jesus answered this. He says, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself from one of the temple. Again, he called God my Father. What did they do? Pick up stones to stone him. They knew that Jesus calling God my Father was pointing towards his deity, his claim to be divine. Revelation 321. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Okay, these words of my father are Jesus testifying of who he is, the divine son of God. And the people in Jesus' time, they, they knew it. They knew what he meant by this. And they wanted to kill him for it because they understood this term was making him equal with God. That's number 11. Okay, who Jesus is. Number 12. Jesus is the Son of Man. Jesus is the Son of Man. I've written down that this title is used 84 times in the four Gospels, and it's only used of Jesus speaking of himself. It's used one other time in the book of Acts where Stephen sees the Son of Man sitting up, standing up in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Okay? And this reference is doesn't just point to the fact that Jesus was human. This reference goes to the points back to Daniel chapter seven, where Daniel sees a vision of God the Father uh, called in that in that vision the ancient of days. And he gives authority to one who is like a son of man. And I want to read that passage in Daniel and then read how Jesus how he calls himself the Son of Man and uses the same imagery from Daniel 7, so we understand that he is, in fact, referring back to Daniel 7 and, and why he refers back to that and why he calls himself the Son of Man. So Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, okay, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, And he came to the Ancient of Days, you know, it's all capitalized, referring to God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him, this one like the Son of Man, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not pass. Be destroyed. Now, you can see why Jesus would take that title, Son of Man, and refer to that as himself. Because he is the king. He is the Messiah. This is the kingdom that he's come to receive from the Father. And he's going to purchase this kingdom through his suffering, through his, resur- through his death and resurrection. Now, as Jesus refers to this term, Son of Man, listen to how he describes it and the parallels that we see from Daniel 7. The first one in Matthew 26. Okay, Matthew 26 64 to 66, this is when he's being interrogated uh, by the high priest uh, before he's crucified. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Same language in Daniel 7. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they answered, he deserves death. There Jesus quite clearly links himself with this figure in Daniel 7, the son of man coming in clouds of heaven and being given this kingdom. Acts 7, this is when Stephen was stoned. And as he was being martyred for the faith, it says, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Mark eight thirty eight. Jesus said, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And again, when he comes in his kingdom. Mark 13, 26. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Again, allusion back to Daniel chapter 7. Now, why is this significant? This is significant because Jesus uses this title. This title, again, talks about his deity. There is no prophet, there is no king, there is no angel, there is no creative being. Uh, There is no one that fits this description in Daniel chapter 7 besides God and God alone. And when Jesus says that he is going to receive all the glory and the kingdom is going to be his and he's going to be coming with great power from the clouds of heaven, this is all divine language, language of deity. And that's why in that trial, they said he's uttered blasphemy, he's uttered blasphemy. A couple more verses before we move on to number 13. Luke 22, 28 and 30. It says, You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you as my Father, assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus is the king, the eternal king. Revelation 2, 26 and 27. Jesus says, the one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And again, speaking about who Jesus is, this figure in Daniel 7, the son of man who's going to receive a kingdom and conquer all and rule over all. This is none other than Jesus himself the divine Son of God. Which leads us to number 13. Number 13. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Now this term, Son of God, that is used so often referring to Jesus, you know, if you think about in the Gospel of Mark, the very first verse, the Gospel of Jesus, called the Christ, the Son of God, okay, Many of his disciples in the Gospels and in Acts and in the Epistles refer to Jesus as the Son of God. Now, this title in itself speaks to the deity, the divinity of Jesus Christ. Okay, it's not just a Son of God with a little s. This is the Son of God. John 1, 14. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay? You'll see in the square brackets, um, monogenus, the Greek word there, from only, some of the older translations translated only begotten. Okay, that Greek, Greek word, this is a small little Greek lesson here, um, that Greek word comes from the word monogenes. Okay, monogenes historically has been thought and be made of two words, mono, you know, we think of instead of mono and stereo, this is this one or, or only, and then genes, that word they thought was, that was from the word gnao, which means to beget or to birth, and so it was the, the only begotten, and that's how we typically remember the King James, the only begotten son. Okay, but this word monogenes doesn't come from mono and genao. It comes from mono and then gene, which just means um, a kind or genus. And so it's a one and only kind or the unique son. The NIV translates it the the one and only son. Or in, I think in the, in the in the margins of the NASB it says the unique son. And in the, the ESV translates the only son. Okay, so this word monogenes is referring to this the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. He is the only Son of God. He is the unique Son of God. Okay, it's not speaking of him being born or or an eternal generation of the Son. It's speaking of Jesus Christ is unique. In his sonship. It's always been Father, Son, and Spirit. There's an equality of persons, yet a difference in roles, Okay, a complementarity in roles. And Jesus has always been the Son of God, the only Son of God, the unique Son of God. John one thirty four uses the same or not the same language it uses the word Son of God here, but John one thirty four and it says this, and I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Nathaniel answered in John one forty nine, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Okay, the Son of God. Now John ten thirty six. People understood what this meant when Jesus referred to himself or when others referred to him as the son of God. John 10, do you say of him who the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Why were they all up in a bunch and ready to arrest him for? Because he said that he was the Son of God. And they didn't know what that meant. They thought it was blasphemy because he was making himself equal with God. Matthew 11, we've already read that text today. Let's jump down to Matthew 17. Matthew 17:5. 17, he was speaking when he was still speaking when behold a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased listen to him this is the voice of the father from heaven speaking to Jesus this is my beloved son okay this is my son my only son my unique son this is the lord jesus christ and again this is speaking of a likeness between Father and Son. Okay, not... It does speak of differences of role, but it also speaks in the, in the equality of natures. You know, like Father, like Son. There's an equality of nature here between the Father and the Son. Hebrews 1, 1-3. Long ago and at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. "...whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high." So again, we see that this title, Son, is this goes along with who Jesus is, the exact imprint of God's image, of His nature, he is in essence, in character, God. Hebrews 1.8. But all of a sudden he says, Your throne, O God, referring to Jesus again as God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. This last one, Mark 14, 61 and 64, we'll end here tonight and we'll finish the rest next time. It says in Mark 14, 61. But he remained silent and made no answer. This is, again, before the high priest, the night before he was crucified. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Okay, the Son of the Blessed, we don't use that term too often. What does he mean? Well, in the the time period, in the place, remember how in the Old Testament instead of reading the Hebrew name Yahweh for God, we just say Lord, okay? And we have it in all uppercase because the Jews never said God's name because God's name was too holy to even utter. And so they would say Lord or Adonai. And the same thing, whenever we read in the Gospel, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, we read about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. The other gospel mention the kingdom of God. And some interpreters have wrongly um, said, well, there's a difference. And we have a kingdom of heaven, and we have a kingdom of God, and there's a difference between the two, but that's not it at all. The reason why in some Gospels it's called the kingdom of heaven, and some it's called the kingdom of God, is because, again, the Jews didn't want to utter God's name or say God, and so they replaced God with where God lived, heaven. And so they call it the kingdom of heaven rather than saying the kingdom of God. And here they say the son of the blessed. Rather than saying the son of God, they don't want to utter the name of God. It's too holy for them to utter. And so they said, are you the son of the blessed? Again, he's he's asking Jesus here, are you the son of God? Okay, he's just using the word blessed so he doesn't say the, the word God, the name God. He says, are you the son of the blessed? Are you the son of God? And what does Jesus say? In verse 62, Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. What was blasphemy? Blasphemy. He was a man, you know, in all physical appearances, he's a man and making himself equal with God. And so whenever they asked, are you the son of the blessed? Are you the son of God? And Jesus said, yes. They knew that was a claim for him being God. Okay, not being lesser than God, not just being another God. They understood when Jesus says, I am the son of God, they understood him to be saying, I am God. I am like God. I am the essence of God. I am divine. I am deity. They understood that. And they said, what more? Uh, we don't need any other witnesses. This man is deserving of death because he's uttered blasphemy. And so they crucified him. Now, this is why Jesus was crucified. You know, I don't, I don't have this as one of my points, but this is a valid point. When we talk to people, uh, for instance, like Muslims or Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, why was Jesus crucified? Why did the Jews put him on the cross? It wasn't because he was a good teacher. It wasn't because he fed the poor. It wasn't because he was this, this great loving person. It was because of what he said. He claimed to be God. He said, I am the son of God. He said, have faith in me. He says, the father's working and I am working. You know, they killed him because they understood he being a man made himself equal with God. So Jesus was crucified because he was God. That's the reason why he was crucified. And all the other religions, where they get Jesus wrong, Jesus dying on the cross makes no sense. Why would they kill him if he was just another prophet? If he was just another man? Why would they kill him? They killed him because he said he was God. You couldn't say it any more clearly than he says right here. They asked him explicitly, are you the son of God? He says, I am. And they knew what that meant. And Jesus knew what that meant. He is God in human flesh. And so we shouldn't... You know, when we consider these truths, we shouldn't think that, you know, Jesus' the deity, Jesus' divinity, this is somehow a second-order doctrine. No, no. This is first order of prime importance, understanding who Jesus is. And we need to have a solid understanding of who Jesus is. So our faith is going to grow. So we're bold to share our faith. So that we can defend our faith. And so that we can have a greater adoration of who Jesus is. And not only that, a greater assurance that our lives are safe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we trust. If you're here trusting in Christ tonight for the forgiveness of your sins, you're trusting in the one who claimed to be the Son of God, the divine man, here, God in human flesh. He is who our faith is in. He is the one that we're trusting. And so as we as we have a fuller grasp of just who He is, the sweeter our salvation is and the more sure it is. And the greater our assurance will be, the greater our joy and our love for Him is going to be, and uh, the greater our love will be for one another, for the lost, all these things flow out of seeing Jesus Christ rightly and for who he is. So I hope this was helpful tonight. I look forward to finishing off uh, 13 through, through 17 or 14 through 17 uh, next week. Let's pray.